when it comes to parenting, one of the main reasons why these souls came into my life is for the process of me, me growing and changing. They have their own journey and their own process. Your job as a parent is to help navigate that. But at the end of the day, they have their own journey. Even if you are able, and you won't be able, none of us are able to always cater to every single one of their needs, desires, and making everything perfect for them without any pain, without any difficulties all the time. At a certain point, they get into the real world. And in the real world, that's not the reality. I think that you have to really challenge yourself, each person, say, what are my beliefs about parenting? How was I raised? How did I feel being raised like that? To really choose to be the kind of parent that you want to be and that your child needs you to be. The view then for parents is to shepherd this soul that is not me to become the best version of themselves. Welcome to the Spiritually Hungry Podcast, episode 15, and we are going to speak about parenting. It is a very fulfilling job, sometimes thankless, depending on the mood of your child. And the child. Which <laughs> child? <laughs> we love you, kids. So I'm excited to talk about Just this. Just last night, Abigail was brushing her teeth and Miriam was right outside. And she says, Abba, can you please tell me which of your two daughters you like the most? <laughs> <laughs> and Abigail's only seven, but Miriam like faked as if she walked out of the room. She stood behind the wall. She wanted to hear. Did you actually think she left the room? I thought for a second I did. Do anyway. you not know Miriam? <laughs> anyway, there was did no you answer way. the question? Yes, I said, I love all of my daughters equally. But different. Different. <laughs> So I want to start with this cute thing I came across. It's how being a parent is like being a rock star. You've never heard this before. Yeah, I know. Never heard of that. Okay, okay. you ready? No, I've never been a rock star, so I'm not sure. But haven't you wanted to be a rock star? Never. <laughs> never, ever, <laughs> ever. I might have. I wanted to be like a drummer for a minute. But yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> okay. So here it goes. Endless hours on the road with too many people in the vehicle. Your job is to entertain a room full of loud, writhing maniacs. If you do your job well, people ask, when will you produce more? <laughs> you ask yourself daily, am I tripping or did I really just see that? Your name is always shouted, never spoken. Someone is always pulling at your clothes. Groupies follow you to the bathroom. Not so much you, I think more me. There's a different person in your bed every night, sometimes even two. At the end of your workday, you're sweaty and your hair is a mess. Mine especially. <laughs> Screaming is just part of the job, don't you think? Very, very, very. Not, not all at the same time. Oh, I could relate know. to all of that. Um, <laughs> so being a mom of four, I think I have this parenting thing down, except when I don't. Just when I think I have, you know, I'm a good parent, I have the right angle, I really kind of like, I understand my child, they change. And then the learning curve starts all over again. You take into consideration, um, as it, as they say in the movie, In and Out, the Pixar film, puberty sets in. Remember that scene? They're like, puberty? And then they're like, what's that? They're like, oh, it's probably not important. <laughs> so when you factor all those things in, um, Parenting really is a job that requires you to embrace my favorite thing, which is change. And I think that the parents that tend to struggle are the ones who, which will obviously unpack, but who try to control their children or feel they know best. Um, 
and it can come from love by the way but it really to to create a relationship that's ever evolving for positive with your child i think change absolutely has to be understood that that's a major part of it absolutely and it's interesting as you were talking i was going to share something else to begin with but that idea as i was thinking of preparing for the podcast and thinking about parenting you know i often say spirituality is not something that everybody is necessarily excited about or even find important in their lives you know, when we when we had the the episode on the relationships, I said I don't think that you can have most people can have a growing, thriving, exciting, inspiring relationship unless there's a spiritual component to it, really a spiritual foundation. And I think you know, when it comes to business, there are many, many very successful business people who have no relationship to uh, spirituality. We can talk about that on a different episode. But when it comes to parenting. I think unless your view on life, like you said, is that whoever I am today, I want to continue to grow, evolve, and change. And in that context, you view parenting, which is these unbelievable souls, sometimes frustrating and making me angry, are in my life for many varied reasons, but one very important one, and this I'm not sure if most parents think about, I'm not sure how often we're really conscious of that. That one of the main reasons why these souls came into my life is because I need to change in ways conscious and subconscious, unconscious. And my life with them in the times that I am having a great time, in the times that I'm frustrated and disappointed and upset, all that is for the process of me me growing and changing. I'm laughing because I think about that all the time. Our kids are like, it's opposite of me. I mean, they're all air signs, a little fire. I'm earth, water. And they they do things in ways like completely opposite from the way I would do. Now, I have two choices here, right? I'd be frustrated saying, this is not a child that's easy to parent because their style, their approach um, is so different than mine. And, and I might think mine makes a little bit more sense at times. But the truth of the matter is the way I decided to approach parenting when I realized I was outnumbered in this house, because you were also... Uh, what? Well, I was also what? Your sign. A child? <laughs> <laughs> no, your sign. You don't have a lot of... You have, I don't, you have a little earth, but not... you know. So I, I kind of looked at it like, okay, what do... Where can I be more like them? How can I see the world the way that they do and really admire their traits and, and the, especially in the ways that they're very different and opposite for me. And that's been tremendous growth. Right. But I, that's absolutely true, that that our children in the people that they become and are becoming, we can learn from watching them. But I mean, even on a deeper level, mm-hmm. that maybe even more importantly... I thought what I said was pretty deep. <laughs> it was very deep. Sorry. <laughs> but the, the pain that they cause us, the frustration that they cause us, the things that, that when th- those moments in parenthood parenting is filled, you know, equally, I would probably, right, with, with the moments that you're having in the most amazing time with your children, and the times that you're upset, disappointed, worried, and so on. If the view is, and this I think is so important, again, for us, and for any of the parents watching or, or listening, I want to change. I need to change. The real reason I came into this world is is to change and to become a better version of myself and a better version of myself. And my children are going to be a tremendous force for change and growth, sometimes in ways that we enjoy, often in ways that we don't. But if that's your right, because I think what's the other what's the opposite view that I think unfortunately many parents have, which is 
okay, these, you know, the, these, so, these people, right? These babies, children have come into my life. I have to tell them what to do. They're mine. They're, they're mine, which is, yeah, and, and I need to tell them what to do. This really shifts the whole dynamic yes. and view with which we parent. Again, we're still the adult usually, and we're still the ones who are often sharing and teaching and, and helping. But if my view is that I don't want to change, and they're not going to tell me what to do, and they're going to listen to me, and they're going to become the people I want them to become, parenting can be very, very frustrating, and really not lead us to where it's supposed to lead, which is the worst part of it. And therefore, I think what you said is so, so important. Again, before we even go any... any Thank you. <laughs> further into this, that I think for everybody listening to take a moment and pause and realize that the reason I'm a parent is separate from what what my children need from me. I'm a parent because I need to change, and I need to grow. And the entire parenting experience, from conception to birth, to toddler, to teenager, to adult, to grandparent, all that's supposed to be a process for me to be changing and growing. And yes, there's a whole other side, how we deal with them. But I think it's such a both beautiful, inspiring, if you're a change junkie or desiring to change and grow, that must be the way with which we look at ourselves as parents. So it's really going to challenge a lot of people. And I think that, you know, some people don't have children. I think it's any relationship, what like a romantic relationship, of course, relationships with their children. They are, what is the purpose of these intimate relationships at the end of the day? Again, a lot of people do fall in love with certain people or decide to have children to have an extension of themselves, right? And it's really more based in ego needs and fulfillment in that way. But spiritually speaking, and even energetically, the purpose really is this give and this take. And as our children become older, then they will be challenged to rethink how they give to us as parents. And how they relate and to us. And how they and how they receive and really how they view, you know, any wrong they felt happened to them in their childhood, right? That's on each person to go back and say, wait a second, what is it I think my parent was meant to give me? So this role of parent-child will forever change. Right. But again, so so if you start there because right, I, I am I am a parent because I want to change and grow. And this is one of the, and you said it's true in romantic relationships as well, but there's, I think, a very big difference between children and romantic relationships. And that, and I remember, and I've shared this before, I think that when our firstborn, David, uh, 21 years ago, almost 22 now, when we, I remember this, and I'm sure many parents have probably experienced this. Um, I remember sitting in, you, you gave birth around, I think it was three, four o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then we were four, in the four o two. Four o two. Yes. Why would you remember that more than me? Oh, I was in a lot of pain until that moment. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. You were more involved. That's true. Okay. Why would I remember? I was, that was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> um, I had just pushed a big eight pound baby out. Was that, I thought it was like nine. It was eight. I thought yeah. it was closer to nine. Then I remember. So you've got the details all all down here. <laughs> So um, we're sitting in the room, right, and 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 you know they clean him up and right, and they bring him back into the room, and I remember you were you had gone to sleep because I guess you know you were kind of busy the night. Yeah. <laughs> I was still up, and um, I'm looking at him. He's in those plastic, you know, bassinets bassinet yeah. that they put in hotel in hotel hospital rooms, and I realize for the first time in my life that this soul, this human being, is 100 percent dependent on us. If we don't feed him, 
he doesn't eat. If we don't clothe him, he doesn't have clothes. If we don't give him a place to sleep, he doesn't have a place to sleep. There's no other relationship. By the way, I was terrified. I remember begging you at the beginning, don't leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yes, I had never, I didn't have, yeah, I mean, I don't know, you were more natural in that way. You weren't, I was so small. (laughs) So, So, um, you were saying it was different than romantic relationships. Right, because hopefully most parents realize this human being is 100% my responsibility, which necessitates a shift, right? When you're in a relationship with, you know, a romantic relationship, you can take a day off, you can take an hour off. I'm actually going to challenge you, though. For okay. a relationship to thrive, just like a child needs to thrive, you need to feel like the success of the relationship or the child depends on your ability to nurture it. Right. And I understand that with children, of course, it's more If, you, if I don't immediate. feed you, you're still going to eat tonight, <laughs> even though I love you and I care for you. I complain about it, but yeah. Right, but, but it's, it's clearly... Yeah, but it doesn't mean you'll have a good relationship. That, my point is, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening, listening. Is that the, the view that you have on your participation and also challenging yourself to keep growing and changing Absolutely. in both roles is... I wouldn't say equally important, but you know, it right. requires thought and effort. Absolutely. But the absolute responsibility <laughs> is different, right? And it's funny, I was having a conversation with our with our oldest daughter, Miriam, the other day, and we were talking about, you know, why is it, you know, is it important to have kids, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that every person came into this world to have kids. But I think that to make the choice to want to have kids is important because if we see our purpose, which is the spiritual view to grow to change, as we said before, there are very few things in life, very few endeavors that will force you to change, force you to share than having children. And I've met, you know, people who said, you know, again, no judgment, right? But when I hear somebody say, you know, I've too many things going on in life or too many things that I want to do, and that's why I've chosen not to have children, I think to a certain degree, and again, every case is different, every person is different, you wind up being a more selfish person without children, if you have the chance to have children. And again, people can adopt, you can foster children. I think having children, especially if you view it in in the right way, you will be a much more spiritual person, a better person, and certainly a more giving person. If if you have children, so when I was talking to Miriam, I said, again, there's probably many reasons to have children, to want to have children. To me, one of them is that you're never going to be the best version of yourself unless you... Put yourself in a position where you you have to care for your child, children, in in such a way, in such a demanding way. Again, until they're you know seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever that age is, the demands are complete. They really cannot take care of themselves. So again, I think that that's so important, right? That, that idea that we have to view parenting first and foremost, as a way for us to transform and change. And when you view it in that way, I think often even the more challenging times, the times that your kids are upsetting you, disappointing you, you say, look, I might not even understand how this is making me a better person, but I know that this entire process is for that purpose, and therefore I embrace it. Yeah, and it will change the way you navigate parenting, for sure. For sure, for sure. Should we get to the first question? Sure, sure. Parents think they know what's best for their children. Yes, we just said because no one loves their children or knows them more than they do. Sometimes this belief turns into a desire to control. My question is, how do you advocate for your child's best interest while staying open-minded that sometimes you might not always know best? 
How do you trust your parental intuition about your child's needs while honoring their desires and not allowing yourself to get hurt in the process when they don't accept what you offer? And I really love this question because I think it hits on so many notes of parenting. I think for the for the most part, parents really have the desire to, of course, raise their child to be happy and healthy and successful, have a quality life, right? But I think sometimes a lot of things get lost because we often project onto our children some of our own issues or things we didn't deal with in childhood or things we wish had happened that didn't happen. Or maybe we're just not simply happy exactly with where our life is now. And we really want to make sure our children have a better opportunity or life, which we can go into all the ways that that is a problem. I think the other thing is that often because the child is so dependent on us and then when they get older, especially when they're starting to hit puberty, they start to need to have independence while also have attachment. And that transition is very difficult, mostly for the parent, right? Because your child might roll their eyes at you or say they don't like your sweater or make fun of something you said. Even if they respect you, you know, there's that dynamic, but at the same time, they're calling you to put cheese on their baked potato and melt it for them, right? It's like this push, pull thing that happens. And that part can be hurtful unless you remember that they're just trying to be individuals and really learn who they're supposed to be. The issue I think happens is that often we don't really listen to our children. I think that we hear their complaints. We hear that, you know, their shoes are too small or they're thirsty. Can you get me? Whatever the the basic needs are, because again, that's how it starts in the beginning. But we stop listening or we don't even start listening to what they really desire. It doesn't mean you have to give them everything they want, but at least to hear it, what they want, what they really. Yes, because imagine, well, I know that I, I had that in my home where you express yourself and what you think or or even what you don't not sure you even believe you just want to be able to speak to the person you know the place that you've come from that might be scary for a parent if they hear something that frightens them right or again makes them feel bad about themselves now this is just ego that comes in because that's a big part of the problem with parenting you know you can really get involved with that part but I think that a big part is to be able to really listen with the intention to hear what they have to say yeah, and it's interesting. One of these, I think I have to say, I have to thank you for really opening me up to this. I think it started actually in our relationship that, you know, really listening to somebody, right? Because this often when we, and any person speaks, especially if it's to an intimate relation, there's many levels to what we're saying, right? A person might be saying, you know, I'm really exhausted. And really what this is, I really need you to give me a hug or I need you to yes, support honey, me. Yes, honey, I trained you. Oh. <laughs> That's what everybody's <laughs> going to think now. Um, but, but, right, and, and, and I think, again, I, not to come down on men, often men, I think, will miss those deeper layers of, of a conversation or of an expression of when one person is expressing themselves. And even with our kids, I know that we've, we've had these conversations where the kids might be either talking about something or complaining about something or even complaining about us. And the obvious reaction or even thought is, oh, they're complaining about me. When in reality, is often much deeper layers to that. Right. After all I've done for you, after all I do for How you. How dare like, you complain about right? me? Right. You're ungrateful. Right. All of right. these things, again, which, which comes from hurt and ego. But I think it's so important that that, that point that you said that we don't and again, I, I think you know we're relatively evolved people, we're relatively spiritual people. I catch myself very often not listening. And what do I mean not listening? Not that I didn't hear what they said, but I didn't try to listen more deeply. And I'll give an example. Especially, by the way, 
if we feel our values are being challenged because that's a whole nother layer right now then we start to worry about their future so it becomes this whole thing where if we just pause we remove the fear we don't make it about us which again is it is challenging and just really listen to the wants and the desires of the soul of your child and again not that it means that you'll always fulfill them because they indulge them but or indulge hear them but you hear them so so i'll give an example and it's this kind of silly example i think it really for me, it was another moment. And I think one of the ways to know that you're parenting in the best way for is when you're learning, right? And I think it's an important question, actually. I would pause right now, everybody listening, and ask, what was the, what was the last time and last thing that you learned from your children? And by the way, uh, please send in, I, we'd love to read if you have any stories that you want to share with us. But I think, you know... And we're if, not talking about like the silly thing of like how to like throw a nut in your mouth and catch it, right? Okay. (laughs) Like, real, like, you know. So, so I'll give give an example. So, the other day, I was talking with Miriam, and our older daughter, Miriam, is learning to drive. So, again, I'm not sure how how different parents handle that when they're in their car with their child who's just learning to drive, which can be, you know, a little bit stressful. So, but but we've been driving a little bit, and, and, and then we were having a conversation, and she's like, you know, you're really, you're really a serious person. And I was like surprised at that. But this because, while she was driving. No, the car. no, no. This oh, was okay, after. Okay, because I would be like, absolutely, yes. While she was driving, yes. I might be. Serious. But I think in general, I think Monica could attest. I think maybe people who know me from sort of lectures and things like that, I seem to be, always be a serious person. But, but I think at home, and especially with the kids, we're always joking around. I, th- I think I'm relatively, I don't want to say easy person, but I'm not serious all the time. Obviously. No, you have a very light and silly right. side too, for yeah, sure. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, we were talking yesterday. Actually, that I think I got that from my mom. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so she, when she said that, I like made a joke. Like you know, we often have. I made a joke about that. Like oh really? You know. And then I let the conversation progress, and I realized that she what she was actually saying is about being a little bit too harsh in the way. Again, whether it's when she's driving or other times when I'm being too harsh in the way I speak to her. And again, she wasn't crying, she wasn't complaining, she wasn't yelling. It was like an offhanded comment. You were able to hear her though. Exactly. exactly. And, and I, I, I was that. and I was so happy, like for myself, not for, I mean, yeah, I'll probably be a better parent and she'll probably be a little bit happier, yes or no, if I, but like, I'm so happy, like for me, okay. I said like, okay, so I must be coming off at home, at least with her, maybe with other kids, maybe with Monica, who knows where else, is it a little bit too serious? Let me pay attention to that and let me try to change that. So. My point being is that, that that what you just said, which I think is so important, it's something that I know that I learned a lot from you, and I continue to learn from our kids. And I say this to all the parents out there, none of us are completely hearing our children. And and take the time. And again, I don't know how often we want to mention our kids, because if they listen to this, they would not be upset. That we're, we're not really listening to the podcast. Okay, that's okay. So we're, often we're even okay. with, with our older son, David, I mean, if they feel, if they know that they're discussed, they'll be they sure be, to hear yeah, it. But okay. let's just not tell them. Uh, with the oldest son David, like um, you know, he's sort of in his last year of college, trying to decide what he's going to do in life, and we have conversations often with him. And it often f- feels like he's not necessarily listening. Sometimes he's listening, and accepting. But what you always push me when we're done with a conversation with David is, okay, this is what he said, and he might be hundred percent wrong about this, or might be hundred percent right about that. But what is really going on? And and that additional question again, I cannot stress. It's a game changer. 
for parents? Well, it's really interesting because you just brought up David and some, listen, some children will be able to better express themselves. I don't want to make it about gender. You know, there's, I wrote a whole blog on boys don't cry, which is the biggest farce. In fact, I cry a lot time. of studies show they did a whole thing where they showed images to men and women that were graphic. They were somewhat upsetting. And actually, the men had a stronger response to them than women did when they were reading their brain scans. And I think it's more the culture we've we've grown up in that boys don't cry; you need to be stoic and strong, and and women, you know, are the more sensitive ones. So what happens is that men don't really develop this part of themselves unless they intentionally seek out to do so later. So and it actually reminds me when David was nine years old. It's like my favorite one of my favorite memories with him and uh just you know we would always do this and we still do we have one-on-one time with our kids individually so i was going out to dinner with I mean, most of the kids would rather one-on-one time with monica than with me oh you're sweet so <laughs> david i had run in from the office and i, I always look presentable i would say oh, um I but i was you know i would think i was more casual and I had run upstairs and I came down. He's waiting for me. But he didn't say we were going to dinner with him. I was going alone you with were, him. Yeah, it was right. like a dinner date with my nine-year-old right. son. And he says, are you, are you going to... And the, again, not his nature is not to be that in touch with himself emotionally. But he looks up at me and he's like, so are you going to are you going to come to dinner dressed like that? And he's kind of been uncomfortable to say it. And I said, I said, why? This is nice. And he's like, well, aren't you going to get fancy for me like you do with your students and your friends? Aww. My heart like melted okay i said oh my god yes i'll be right back i ran upstairs i put a ton of makeup on i mean i got overdressed and we went out for our date but what he was expressing and what i what i heard and what i allowed him to say was that he wanted to feel as important to me as he saw other people right be important to me right so i always want to look for those different cues and even for people who have younger children and even if they just cannot express themselves i remember when abigail started kindergarten she was super excited to go to school three older siblings she saw them getting dressed every day going to school so when she started kindergarten super excited she's ready she has her her little backpack with nothing in it of course and like her sippy cup and some snacks and that first week she came home and she was a terror she was having tantrums she was upset she didn't want to do any of the after school activities we always did and of course she couldn't express to me that she was exhausted. It was like a different schedule for her. Now I could have been like, oh my God, this is the worst kindergarten or she's not ready or whatever. And instead I just realized that she is just tired and she's just experiencing that. And all she needed me to do was to say, okay, because there were no naps now, by the way, right? Just to be like, okay, this is what you need. So I think that as parents, and I really wish that that my parents had, and again, they were amazing, but I, I remember feeling so unheard so much of my childhood that I think that's why I'm always like, what are you feeling? Because I, I remember feeling just left with my emotions and thoughts and nowhere to place them. Yeah, again, I- In a safe place. Yeah, I really want to under underscore this, this idea. And by the way, this doesn't necessarily mean that when you hear them, and change in ways that actually you believe are necessary from what they're saying, that they're going to acknowledge it, or they'll be thankful for it. Because let's remember, the whole point here is not to get your parent, your kids to say you're an amazing parent or to say, right? It's, or to force them to listen to you, by the way. They have their own journey and their own process. Your job as a parent is to help navigate that. But you can't tell them what to do or where to go or how to do it. You can certainly show by example. 
and power of suggestion is huge, especially coming from a parent. But at the end of the day, they have their own journey. Right. But and, and the point is that after I had, for instance, that conversation with Miriam, it wasn't for me like, oh, I really hope she notices that I'm trying to change this aspect and, and being a little bit lighter around her and things like that. For me, I was excited about the fact that she just showed me something that I need to change about myself. And I'm so excited for that. So like just going back to the first thing we said is that if you view parenting almost number one, I don't want to say number one, the most important part of it, but a very important part of it is that they're going to help me change. And therefore you really push yourself. And this doesn't because it does I know it doesn't come naturally to me. It probably comes a little bit more naturally to you, but we all have to invest the time to listen, to really listen. And you're you're going to get wisdom from there. You're going to get things you need to change. And and again, doesn't mean that that once you really hear them, that you share with them, they're not going to say, "Oh, wow, that's amazing that you heard me." Right? But that's not the point. If I want to be a better parent, I better be taking the time. And by the way, this is true, of course, in relationships. But when I, if, I'm, if I want to be the best parent or the better parent that I can be all the time, ask yourself, what was the last time when you had a conversation with your child or they said something, and you were like, "Oh." I really know what they're talking about. They're not just complaining about their friend in school. They were saying that they needed this for me or that for me. Very, very important Also, point. remember that some people were raised in an era where they understood that children should be seen and not heard. So I think that you have to really challenge yourself, each person, and say, what are my beliefs about parenting? How was I raised? How did I feel being raised like that? To really choose to be the kind of parent that you want to be and that your child needs you to be. I think another thing that happens, um, and I urge parents in this way to hold their tongues. I think very often we finish our children's sentences. We fill in the blanks and we don't really let them complete their thought or their sentence or what they're feeling, again, for fear of hearing something that makes us uncomfortable or challenges our values. But And also when they're younger, you know, they're speaking slowly. Do you want this? Is this what you need? We're so used to that where if we don't pause and reassess what the child needs at different stages and ages, we might still go on with that pattern. Yeah. And I think, again, going back to the question, I think one of the really important thoughts around parenting is the fact that our children are not ours. Mm-hmm. Right? I think, like you said before, often whether it's a conscious ego or a subconscious ego, we think that these being, these human beings are ours to mold into what we think is best. And it leads me to one of our favorite, you really introduced me to him, one of our favorite writers, and he was a, a pediatrician and uh, an analyst, but he, Donald Winnicott, who wrote oh. many books on, on parenting. I strongly recommend uh, one of my favorite ones is We All Begin at Home. Uh, it's a collection of his, of his it's some essays. It's too, because he, he, I think he passed in 1972. And his work, it often happens like that, really became more mainstream after he passed and people really um, following a lot of what he he had discovered. One of my favorite theories of his is the concept of the good enough parent, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think many parents, you know, think I need to be the perfect parent or I have to be an amazing parent. I have to be a great parent. And I, in, in our view, there's spiritual reasons for this, but let me first, you know, give credit to Dr. Winnicott's theory that you don't want to be the perfect parent because what a perfect parent would mean is that you're protecting your child all the time. They won't ever get hurt. Everything will always go as they want it to go. But what happens is if you're the perfect parent in that way, you're actually not preparing them for life because 
even if you are able and you won't be able, none of us are able to always cater to every single one of their needs, desires, and making everything perfect for them without any pain, without any difficulties all the time. At a certain point, they get into the real world. And in the real world, that's not the reality. And when they when they get into a relationship and they're like, wow, my parents, and again, this is in a theoretical world, which never happens, but my parents took care of every one of my needs. Now my spouse is not. What's going on here? Or they go to try to get a job and it doesn't happen to them. One second, I was taught as a child, everything that I want happens for me and so on and so forth. Yes. So so what he said is that is that the, the, the perfect parent is the one that's not so good or the good enough parent, the parent that tries and fails and sometimes does a good job and sometimes fails at doing a good job. And I think it's such a both a liberating and a true way to view ourselves as parents. None of us can possibly be the perfect parent, but more important than that, none of us should ever be striving to be the perfect parent. Well, there's no perfect anything. So, right. you know, I hate that word with passion. Right. The good enough parent. You know, by the way, especially in this day and age, so many parents are working, both parents often. And there is a lot of guilt that comes with, you know, am I there enough? I'm not a stay-at-home mom or you know, I, I need to be there for, I, I feel like I'm failing them somehow. So often parents compensate in ways that aren't the best for the child. But what I thought was really interesting that I read is that actually, if you look at the moms, right, because stay-at-home moms in the 50s, right, they actually spent... There are probably a, a lot of parents who are stay-at-home moms. No, today, but I'm saying right? in the 50s, where many majority, women did, majority yeah. of women did not work. Right. Um, they find that working moms today, working moms outside of the home, because I do agree with you, I think that it's it's very difficult, and I applaud every stay-at-home mother. Um, I, I certainly could not be one. <laughs> but, uh, but that mothers today that work outside of the house spend nine hours more a week with their child than the mothers in the 50s did. Because it was just like, okay, the kids are outside in the yard. It was just like this. So I think we're tremendously hard on ourselves of what it means to be the best parent. And I think that a lot of times we compare ourselves to other parents, but we'll get into that right. in a little bit of like, you know, this one has it all, they're doing everything. Um, but I did want to say one thing we were talking about before about failure. There were other studies too, that children who were always praised as you're doing an amazing job, you're so smart. Wow, I'm so proud of you. Not like just praising them for effort, but in doing it right, accomplishment, they actually took less risks because they were so afraid of failing. So that's not doing them any favors either. Absolutely. So I think both it's again, it's both liberating to to really view ourselves our, as parents as not needing to be perfect. I think I'm trying to remember. I think there's actually a study that says as long as you're 51%, meaning you fail 49% oh, of the time, but 51% of the time you're there for your child, then then that's good enough parenting. And there's a study in that it's a little bit uh, of a side idea. But, but it again, reminds me of uh, the Spanx founder, Sarah Blakely, where when she would come home from school, her father every day would say, tell me how you failed today. And if she couldn't tell him, he'd say, go out and come back when you can tell me how you failed. So failure for her was something very normal, something to be expected, just like you would expect to succeed. Failure is necessary, and it's a component that should be part of every day. So she started so many businesses and failed and failed time and time again, never gave up until um, she found Spanx when she was wearing white jeans one day and she didn't really like the way they looked on her. So she cut out the leg part of her support pantyhose and just wore the supportive part under the jeans. And we know the history now of Spanx. But uh, actually, it reminded me of a conversation I had with one of our kids recently. Um, they were going through, in, the, in their mind, was were challenges. And I said, and again, there's so many different important 
teachings, consciousness uh, around uh, what parents should be sharing with their kids. And at the, at the time, what I told him, I said, there's really three things that I think that as a growing adult, you should be focused on. And I think it's probably helpful for all parents to, to have these in mind you know, in different times for their kids. And I said, I think spirituality, meaning personal development, growth, transformation, from selfishness to sharing, appreciation. I don't believe you can draw any more success, growth, blessings without appreciation, and resilience. You know, I, th- I think resilience is a very. I think you know, going back to the idea of failure, I think. Well, that's that, what Sarah Blakely's father was teaching her, right? Exactly. Was, and if you're a perfect parent, that none of us can be, but even if theoretically you could be, you're definitely not teaching your kids. No, resilience. because you're too busy protecting them. Exactly. So they need to fail. They need to fall. They need to be in pain. And hopefully, again, you could be there to help them grow resilience from that. But it's again, so funny. I, it reminds me when Abigail is like five, and we were talking. There was a song from one of the movies. And she sings about blood, sweat, and tears. It was that ballet one. Um, Leap. Leap. And so Abigail, maybe she was even four, she's like, well, what are blood, sweat, and tears? And I said, well, when you try so hard and you work so hard to succeed at something that you might fall and bleed and that you're sweating and you might even cry because you're frustrated. And she says to me, well, what happens if it all happens at the same time? I don't know what to do. She's imagining herself crying, bleeding, and sweating profusely. That happens too. That happens too. And then I remember actually for a number of weeks after that, she kept them whenever she was doing something strenuous. I'm investing my blood, sweat, sweat and, and tears. tears. Yeah, but that's exactly right. Yeah. And and which relates to now, so that's, again, just giving another plug to, to Donald Winnicott. Um, I strongly recommend reading his books. I mean, um, again, I thank you for introducing me to him. But really beautiful. You're welcome. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, um, uh, really, teachings on parenthood. But I think now taking it to a spiritual level, the understanding that we, our kids are not ours. Our view is that these are unique souls with a unique purpose and a unique life. And we have some responsibility, obviously on the physical level, until they're able to feed themselves and clothe themselves and so on. But on a deeper level, Yes, to share wisdom. Yes, to support. Yes, to help them learn resilience when they fail and fall and are in pain. But that almost separating view, because I think part of the reason that we make the mistakes that we shouldn't be making, there's a lot of mistakes we should be making as parents, like we said before, is that we view them as ours. And when you view something as yours, then it should become what you want it to become. But when you really understand, and this is the truth, and you can try to fight this spiritual nature, but it's 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 bound to fail. Our kids are not ours. We, you know, the, the Talmud often says there's a partnership between ourselves and the light of the Creator. We have, of course, a responsibility, and yes, we are assisting in, in bringing them into this world and hopefully helping them grow in this world. But what they become has nothing really to do with what we want them to become. We can support them to become the best version of themselves, but that's a different thing than thinking, you know. I'm, you know, like we all know these stories, you know, in very competitive cities, if it's New York, even or even in LA, when you have very academic parents, both them are doctors or whatever, you know, high, you know, great college graduates. It's important to them that their child goes to the best. Well, it starts at the youngest age, right? Best kindergartens, best you know schools, and then best high schools and then best colleges. But we all know that there are many kids who are not meant to be 
you know, intellectual in that way. They have other gifts to bring into or this world. Or they might even be intellectual in that way, but what about being happy and, and kind and having a purpose outside of that? I know a lot of people who are very, they do go to the most prestigious schools and they're miserable. Um, of course. But I know, for instance, I know we you know a number of our students and friends who, who growing up, their parents made it very clear this was the track that they wanted them to go on. These right. were the schools, and this was the gra- this is where, they, right. where they needed to graduate from, and this is what they, need, they needed to do, without taking a step back and saying, one second, this child is not me. Not only is he not me, I don't own him. He is not mine. He is, you can be spiritual and say it is the universes or the light of the creators. I have a, a role in their life. But you need to look and see what it is that they really want to offer. and. And would be better suited to do absolutely versus what your agenda would like be. each one like we, we often speak about this and by the way this is as an aside you know people who don't believe in souls or or in astrology or you know i, I have a question i always ask is well, how is it we have thank god four children each one of them completely different than the other completely, completely. we are the same parents they were born in the same house they grow up they grew up in the same house there's no again. I'm not sure that there is a, other than a spiritual. What's the nature versus nurture? Right, but but, but then they're the all whole. nurtured in the relatively right. same way, and you see how different they are. Okay, but that's we're not we're not going to get into that conversation. But going back to what you said before, listening to your kids, listening to your kids doesn't just mean when they're talking, but who they are, because and this means as a parent, you have to be much more nimble and open than we'd like to be. So again, we talked about hearing them. So this is really seeing them. It's seeing them not for who you want them to become, but who they're destined to become. And that changes everything. Right. And also, by the way, not that this is the reason to do it, it also removes a lot of the angst that you have often as parents because you know sometimes you, we joke and we're like well that's that's not us exactly <laughs> that's on him <laughs> i don't know exactly. where to kick that but, up but i know I'm, I'm sure this and even again we'll fall to this at times to see a kid comes come home with a, with a bad report from the school or a bad report card and so like you can get really upset right but really on some level it's because you're identifying yourself with them and and how could i have failed for them to be doing that but first of all again of course, there's some situations where parents fail, and they they really you know, are are delinquent in their duties as parents. But most of us, I'm sure, most of our listeners are not, and I know that we are not. That does not mean that our kids will not fail in school. It doesn't mean that they won't have a bad report from school, and so on and so forth. But when you really separate, and I would say your ego from the child, and you're really conscious of the fact they have their own journey, they are their own being. And I cannot allow, I should not allow, my ego, my desire for them to overtake who they are and what they're meant to be. So the view then is... Yeah, like that overtake, exactly. The view then for parents is to shepherd this soul that is not me to become the best version of themselves. And that might be something so different than what I have a concept of and what even I want for them. That that thought, and the truth is, again, we often speak about this. What do we want for our kids? We want them to be happy. We want them to be kind and good. And I would add spiritual. But everything else, where they study, how they study, what they do with their lives, what their vocation is, and so on and so forth, that is, again, we can support, and maybe at certain times when they're not mature enough to really even know themselves, we can help them see themselves. But one of the biggest mistakes that that we can make as parents is trying to decide, because, which comes from whether we're conscious of it or not, 
they are an extension of me. They are mine. I need to make them what is even what is I think is best for them. Not possible. Not possible. And therefore, again, going back to the question, I think it's really important that we check ourselves as parents. How do I view this relationship? How do I view my purpose in this relationship? So I think a good few questions that each person can ask themselves to check where they are at on about the things we've just discussed. One is, is your parenting based on what your kids need or something you're trying to soothe within yourself? Hard question, but an important one. Another thing to ask yourself is, as a parent, are you 100% aware of why you either praise or criticize your child, even if they don't deserve it, right? And the last one is, are you trying to control them? Perhaps you're trying to save your child from failure, or you're afraid they're going to make a bad decision. So, and then remember, of course, that failure is part of our greatest success. And again, they learn resilience. Right. That's why it's funny. I, I, I think I've shared this, but but at times, I don't want to sound callous, but but I am actually often happy when our children experience some sort of pain or some sort of disappointment, because that's life. And that's how you grow, and that's how you you learn resilience, which is one of the most important things that you will have to be it's successful still painful, the rest of But yes, at times, right? There are times that it is pain, right? So both things can happen. Either it's a, I mean, it's a relatively small pain. I have to say, I, I don't, I don't want to say I enjoy it, but I'm happy that they're going through that experience. If it's a greater pain, of course, you have both both thoughts, which is on the one hand, I'm, they need to be going through this, especially Second, yeah, if the child has regret for something, and then you know, but but again, it's their process right. at the end of the day. If you remember from a few podcasts ago, uh, I came up with the idea, which I thought was a very good idea, that uh, Monica and I would ask each other one question on the topic that we are not prepared for. So Monica has has one, and I think I have one too. What was your least favorite moment of parenting to date? It's funny. My question is similar to that. Yeah, okay. sure it is. You can cop. I knew you can cop. That's why I wanted to go first. So, so the words again. Your least favorite. Yes, that would be correct. So let's see how honest you're going to be. No, oh, there's so many. No, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say, and again, I don't know if I might have shared this on the in the fear. No, uh, you've never shared this one. This one. So. Um, David was around three or four years old, and we were in Toronto, and we went to, I think there's a Six Flags outside of Toronto, and there was this big, like, climbing apparatus with, like, different stairs and, 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 uh, and slides. It was four stories, really big. And I went with him. So I'm following David up and down. We're going on and around. And then there was this bridge you remember the story? Well, how could I forget? I was—I almost <laughs> peed in my pants. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> there was this. There was this bridge from now. This is like on the fourth floor, right? So you're really high up in there, and there's a bridge, and so David enters, and there were there were hundreds of kids there. I mean, but my age just state, so everybody gets the full picture. You were because you are like this in public places, like very busy amusement park. You were on him like a hawk, like he was literally one foot in front of you. But again, because there were so many children and other people climbing, you lost sight of him for a well worse than that. So so he goes into this into this uh, bridge thing, which is relatively narrow, and I'm thinking I'll just walk around to the other side and meet him as he comes out. I go to the other side. I realize there's no way from the fourth floor to go to the other side on the fourth floor. You actually have to go down to the third or the second floor to come around and come all the way back up. 
And I do that. I can that, hear the excitement in your voice even today. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. So, and I, so I can't find a way to the other side. So I run back up. So now it's been, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute since I last saw him. And since then, at least 30, 40 kids and a few adults have gone through that. Now, um, my husband is very, very spiritual. Really, honestly, he really is. He walks the talk. But next thing you know, now I'm all the way down on the bottom. I see like bodies of <laughs> Bodies being pushed and shoved aside, like, like, like bowling pins, like boom, boom, side to side, side to side. And I see you like running through like the road runner trying to get to David. That's why I was laughing so hard because I was like, oh my God, I've never seen him move like that. What is he doing? Or behave that way. But you were terrified. I, I was. I was very, I, was, I mean, there was, there was literally hundreds of kids. And then, and so I make it to the other side. And then you I were see, like literally like a bowling ball, like these pins were. Yeah, I'm happy okay. you were entertained. I was in pain, so I get to the other side and I see David like on his way down oh, the stairs. Yeah, he completely never even oblivious. turned around to see where you so, were. So, like, I was again both at that moment. I until I saw him, I was in, uh, I was in uh, fear, and then when I saw him after that, like literally to this day, and it's now nineteen years later, I literally, you know feel some relative failure as a parent for allowing my child to almost go missing in a oh, amusement park. Oh, come on. You're exaggerating. He was fine. <laughs> there are a few other times. <laughs> but yeah. So my question for you was, what was your, what has been, I don't want to say your most, because this what, what one of your most frustrating times as a parent. Frustrating. So is mine better than yours, my question? Huh. Well, frustrating. Yeah, it's more difficult, I think. Um, you know, it's interesting because your your story, right? I think that now that we have so much distance between that age, right? We can look back. I can look back and laugh. I don't think you're laughing still yet. No, um, too painful. But I think that for me, the more frustrating times are now with puberty and young adulthood and all the things that come along with it. So I'm not going to give any stories out of respect for because they're still there. I think in 15 years I can sit here and I'll probably laugh about those moments, but you know, they they have normal experiences. So I I won't go into those stories, but I think the most frustrating part of of parenting really is when you guide your child, you you give them advice, they hear it for a minute and then they decide, no, they're going to do it their way. And based on what we've shared with you today, like our philosophy, to sit back and still hug them and encourage them and be supportive when I'm saying just go from like A to B. I'm A, you're B, just go from here to here. But no, I'm going to take the scenic route where I'm going to get a flat tire and I'm going to sleep in like a bed bug bed at the motel. And I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna take all these other different um, side routes that I know will cause potential pain and um, and make it longer for them to actually get to their goal that they want. Forget about what I want and, and make it so much harder on themselves. And there's really nothing I can do about it. If I want Except them- watch to, and if Because if I want to keep the lines of communication open, and I want them to always feel like this is where they, this is the safe place they can come to, even when we disagree. Then I have to be able to do all of those things. It's very frustrating and, um, and it's, it's the hard part. It's the hard part. I mean, I I do share this a lot when 
you know, we have we know a lot of people who have many children and they're like, I'm exhausted. I have five kids under the age of seven or whatever the thing is. And I'm like, you know, wait, just wait, <laughs> wait 10 years, you know, because, you know, as the saying goes, big children, big problems. Um, that's when it gets real because they can make choices that are irreversible sometimes. And uh, and we certainly have seen that with uh, some of our kids, friends, even where they've they've done things that really the part of them will never come back. So that's that's both frustrating and also, you know, scary. Right. Right. That's, yeah, absolutely. And like you like but like we said before, what helps in that process is again the realization it is their path. It is their life. And if they are making the decision to learn not from parents' advice, but from painful failures that's the choice that that's all made and it's for them to make at the end of the day yeah i actually um wanted to read a quote from oh, sure. from donald winnicott it's from it's from the book um home is where we start and it's a little bit long but i just really really enjoyed it and i hope our listeners enjoyed it as well um so he says another source of confusion is the glib assumption that if mothers and fathers bring up their babies and children well there will be less trouble which is kind of what we just spoke about. Far from it. If you do all you can to promote personal growth in your offspring, you will need to be able to deal with startling results. If your children find themselves at all, they will not be contented to find anything but the whole of themselves. And that will include the aggression and destructive elements in themselves, as well as all the elements that can be labeled loving. There will be this long tussle which you will need to survive. With some of your children, you will be lucky if your ministrations quickly enable them to use ways to grow and be creative and to be in satisfying, satisfying ways. But even so, the road to this point may be rocky. And in any case, you will make mistakes, in these, and these mistakes will be seen and, in, and felt to be disastrous. And your children will try to make you feel responsible for setbacks, even when you are not, in fact, responsible. Your children simply will say, I never asked to be born. This is, he had some experiences. Your rewards come in the richness that may gradually appear in the personal potential of this or that boy or girl. You will feel rewarded if one day your daughter asked you to do some babysitting for her, indicating thereby that she thinks you may be able to do this satisfactorily. Rewards come indirectly. And of course, you know, you will never be thanked. Mm, I really like that. Yeah, I thought it was really beautiful. And again, not necessarily agree with all of those sentiments, I, yeah, right. but but I think that is a, an important way to understand parenting. It's, it's one of those tasks that unless viewed, I would say, in a spiritual way, that, you know, as a way, as we said earlier, to change me, to make me be able to listen better, to see better, it can be a very frustrating process, even in the best ways possible. But I think... And again, parenting never stops. I think one of the things we can share with our listeners is that having this view, this view that we spoke about, the spiritual view, certainly makes it, makes it more enjoyable, less filled with angst, although there are moments of, of, of worry. And at the end of the day, more, maybe most importantly, make us a better person through the process. And by the way, um even when it seems that your kids don't listen to you, they're not appreciating you, 
your voice will become the voice in their heads. So if it's kind and forgiving and nurturing, even when they don't listen to you, even when they challenge you, that is what they're going to hear in their hardest, most difficult times and challenges. And I really think that if as parents, we're interested in all parts of our children and we see them, our ability to influence them is far greater because then once they feel seen and heard and we seem interested in them wholly, even if we don't agree, then they're open to what we have to offer in a more complete, full way. Yeah, and I hope you don't mind me. I'm going to actually do another quote here because you just inspired me with what you said <laughs> by the, a philosopher who, who took a lot of her teachings from uh, Donald Winnicott. Her name is Martha Nussbaum. And she writes, but sort of parenting is the highly particular transactions that constitute love between two imperfect people. Yes, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we, we do have a lot. We're we have do a lot more podcast yes, on parenting for sometime. sure. So f- please feel free to send in your stories, questions uh, to Monica and Michael at Kabbalah dot com. We'll get to them uh, on the next podcast that we do on parenting. Also, uh, we're going to be doing, as we said, at least one podcast a month on relationships. I believe next podcast will be on relationships. Continue to send in your stories, uh, questions, questions. Uh, to Monica and Michael at Kabbalah.com, and we'll try to get to more and more of them as we continue. So we will leave you with this beautiful letter from one of our listeners. Good evening. I couldn't listen to another podcast and not express how much Spiritually Hungry podcast episode 13 and 14 has blessed my soul. I have taken Kabbalah 1 and 2 online and recently became a One House member. I became pregnant last year and pondered what a precious gift this would be to me and my husband. We've been married for seven years, but we're faced with infertility. I wanted to be the best parent I could, so I enrolled us in Kabbalah 1 and 2. On June 2nd, 2020, at 34 weeks pregnant, my son Eli was born still. His heart had stopped beating. I have become depressed with no desire to do anything, but a little light was there for me to listen to the remaining Kabbalah 2 classes. My ego is so treacherous, it's been reminding me that I am defective, that my body failed me, reminding me of the shame and embarrassment of how I can face my friends and family after the baby shower but did not come home with the child. I have tried to see and know with certainty that the Creator knows best, but this is a tough one. I still cry wanting and wishing I had my child. It's so difficult to imagine how this experience is for my good and the best thing for me. After listening to your podcast and wiping away many tears, I'm trying to accept what has happened and not resist my soul development because I could not know better than the light what is best for me. I will definitely go back and listen to the remaining episodes. Thank you for fulfilling your soul's purpose as you were definitely sent by the Creator at this time in my life. Blessings to you both. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing this letter with us and uh, your raw emotions. Absolutely. And uh, as we say, you know, the, the reason we do this podcast, besides the fact that we enjoy spending some time together, some more time together, is because of the impact that hopefully what we share has in people's lives. And to hear a story like that, that we can actually bring some solace and comfort to, to such a painful experience. Um, so it's our hope that in everything that we share, the deeper parts and the funnier parts, that our listeners find inspiration, solace when they need it, and hopefully some wisdom that helps them become a better person. And we'll be sharing more and more of these stories as uh, we continue recording the podcast. But first of all, thank you so much for sharing that, uh, being so, as Monica said, raw and, and, and open and honest. And to the rest of our listeners, thank you so much for listening. And thank you for for using Spiritually Hungry Podcast as one more way to help 
you become a better person and through that we believe the world become a better place and please keep sending in your questions your stories your inspirations to monica and michael at kabbalah.com they mean the world to us it really we cannot overstate how much inspiration we receive from our listeners sending in these stories so please keep sending in your stories your questions and um, please make sure that you're uh, sharing this podcast with all of your friends family that you're going to apple Podcasts and giving five star reviews and um, anywhere else you get your podcast because this way other people again can have more access to it we hope you enjoyed this one as much as we enjoyed recording it